Welcome to the Topeka First Assembly podcast. We hope this message serves as an encouragement to you. If you would like to support us financially, you can do so online at www.topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. We're going to open God's Word this morning. We're going to go over into the book of Judges. And, uh, I've kind of been doing some different things here in the past couple weeks and just uh, trying to share some words that I feel like the Lord is giving us. And, uh, and this one I, I'm going to title, More Than Enough. Uh, that's just the, really the word that the Lord has kind of given me. And uh, I want to look at, at the life of Gideon. Gideon's an interesting guy. Uh, and uh, we're going to look at Israel and Gideon and how God worked in uh, this nation of people who were lost. Uh, and uh, they really learned a lesson of faith and trust in the power of God. And, you know, I really don't think it's any different for us in our situation, in our day and time, uh, that we have to be able to look to Him, and uh, we have to be able to trust Him no matter what we're facing. Uh, but uh, we have to ask ourselves, are we giving, giving God a chance to work in our lives? Are we giving Him that opportunity to work in our lives? Because it is something that we need to do. It, it's more than just attending or coming to church or watching online. Uh, it's got to be something that actually affects us to our very person, to who we are as followers of Jesus. And we have to get to the place where we recognize and realize that God is more than enough in our lives. Uh, consider a person who has their back against the wall and their family seems to be in ruins and their opportunities to make things better really appears to have slipped out of their hands, and they're not sure what can happen really to be able to turn things around for them. And so, but God ends up providing and working in their situation in a miraculous way that they thought was impossible, that God could never do that. Uh, it may be that they, maybe they got a job that they didn't think that would ever happen for them, or they never dreamed of, or it could be that their family is restored because of the surprising generosity of another person. And this really isn't so far out of reach for us as followers of Jesus when we walk with Him in faith. And too many times, we put God in our own little box, don't we? I don't know about you, but we tend to, as people, put God in some kind of a small box, thinking, you know what, this is how you can work in my situation, God. This is how you can work, and really, you can't work outside of that. But the fact is, is we have to be able to take him out of that box, not that he's going to fit in your box anyway. We limit him, and it makes us feel like we are safe from being hurt by our own faith because we think that faith may fail us. Isn't that what happens at times? We simply just think, well, my faith isn't strong enough, so God can't do anything. We have to be able to look past ourselves and look to the one true living God who saves our lives. We have to be able to look to Him and trust Him no matter what the situation is. And we recognize that some are so worried that hope is too far away to grasp but God. But God steps on the scenes. God is more than enough, and we can see, see it in the life of God's people. Israel, 
Um, even when they had lived a selfish and an immoral lifestyle, God was using their circumstances to provide for them and to guide them back towards a friendship with himself. He wanted them to be his friends. That's what he desires, and he wants us to be his friends today. Look, at, look with me into Judges chapter 6, verse 1. And let's read these first six verses here. Uh, out of the NIV, it says this, the, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now you have to understand there that God was following through with his covenant. Uh, and verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds, Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. That's the guys like all over by, uh, by the, uh, the eastern shore of the, uh, the Jordan and all of that kind of area, north to the south. And, and it says there in verse 4, they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, which is over west towards the uh, towards, uh, ocean, or not ocean, sorry, the Mediterranean, and they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They just wiped everything out that they could wipe out. And they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. We'll stop there for a moment, but we see the, the, the plight that they were in, the difficult situation they were in. But before you jump to any conclusions about God dealing with people in the Old Testament, you need to step back a little bit to get a proper view. I've heard so many people read the Old Testament and they think, well, how, God, how could God allow this or be involved in this? You've got you to gotta understand the context. You've got to understand the situation uh, there's several things here on that. First, you need to notice that Israel was in a covenant with God, and, and he dealt with them according to that covenant. And second, Israel as a whole was sinning against God by worshiping false gods. That's what they were doing. And that doesn't mean that everybody did that. There were likely those who served God, but there were few. And the ramifications of breaking their covenant with God actually affected everybody. No one likes this one, but it even affected the righteous as well. Those that were living for him, it affected them as well. Third, this doesn't make God out to be a tyrant. As some would say, God was in the Old Testament. They misunderstand the teaching of the Old Testament because of how he dealt with people. But he was dealing with a nation with laws that God had set in order. But they chose to ignore those laws. They turned away from them. They didn't even fulfill a lot of those that they were expected to do. But fourthly, out of this, and this is, isn't even my point today. But fourthly, you look at it, they were oppressed, and God again had mercy on them, but he used force to deliver them, maybe not the way you would expect he would do today, 
But this was his time, this was the time of the judges, and it's where everybody acted however they wanted to. They did what was right in their own eyes, as the scripture would say. And God didn't always like their actions. He didn't always like that. And fifth, we're, we, we are under a new covenant in Christ. And God is still the same, but how he deals with man may be a little bit different than it was at that point, but he still deals with us according to his word and the new covenant that we are under through Christ. But we can learn so much from this relationship that God had with his people and how they related to him or did not at times. So as we get into this this morning, the first thing is this, is God's people cry out for relief. That's what they're doing. And I know that many of us over the time period that we have been in in recent months, we've cried out to God for relief, and that's what we should do. This this whole account here comes down to to verse 6 where it says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And this is where we really need to be. We must cry out to the Lord for help in tough times. We need to talk to him. And I really don't think that people of Gideon's time were any different than us, were they? Uh, they, they weren't. They were just like you and I. The difference was as, as you drive a Chevy and they, and they rode a donkey. I mean, you know, what's the difference? Otherwise, it's just not much. And uh, so they worshiped false gods, and you may want to challenge us here in Kansas, saying, you know what, well, uh, because the mainstream here in Kansas doesn't seem trapped in those things, although many are in different ways, and if you know what to look for, those kind of things are still around us, still the worship of false gods and actually that kind of stuff, it's still there. You can probably don't have to drive too far from here at this church to see people worshiping false gods. But the mainstream worships our wallets. That's the mainstream. And you may not do this, but you live in a world that does, and it does affect us. That's why we must pray for our nation. That's why we must pray for one another. And that's why we must be a witness of Christ in the communities that we live so we can share that hope with them. They don't have to keep running or rolling that same way. It kind of reminds me of the words of the prophet Isaiah over in chapter 6. I don't have it for you. You can look look at it in your Bible later on. But in Isaiah 6, the Lord is coming to him. He's setting him in order as a prophet and saying, hey, I need you to get out there and tell people my word and what I'm trying to explain to them. And so he's before the presence of God. And this is what he says before the presence of God. He said in verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, woe is me. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You can imagine what it was like for him in the presence of God as he was before the Lord's presence, and he realized his own sinfulness and that he needed God's help. Isaiah admitted that he needed God. Then even earlier in Gideon's time, we find Israel crying out to God for help, and we have to do the same thing as well. We must humble ourselves before God because we can't simply point fingers. That's the easiest thing to do. 
Say you find yourself working together with your neighbor to build a privacy fence between your house and their house, right? So maybe for you guys that are in the country, that's maybe far off from you, but just bear with me. Just think about that. You're going to get together with your next-door neighbor. You're going to build a privacy fence, and you both go to the lumberyard together. Say, hey, we're just going to split the cost of this half and half. And that's the rules of the game anyway, right? And so you go, you pick up all the, the, the pickets that you're going to put up. You pick up the posts, the concrete to, to pour into the holes uh, to uh, go around the post. And then, you, then you rent one of their post hole diggers, you know, one of those augers with an engine on top of it. And, and you guys are going, you, you get back to the house and you, you unload all the lumber and everything and you're, you're ready to get going. So you guys have your chalk line down the line. You know where the fence is supposed to go, and then you pull out the auger and say, let's put the first post right here, and, and you both grab onto that. Some of those are two men, right, the auger, and you got one guy on one side and the other neighbor on the other side, and so you fire that engine off, and, and you get that thing spinning, and you start digging the holes. You go down the line, you set each post, and you, and you put the uh, concrete in there, and it's ready to go. And then, then after you do all that, you put all the pickets up, everything is set up, and you're, and you're good. The, the fence is set up, and then all of a sudden, you look down the fence, and you realize that the thing is crooked. It's leaning over to one side. And you're like, well, how did that happen? And, and you look at the guy, your neighbor that you're working with, and you point at him and says, look what you've done. The, the fence is leaning. <laughs> the reality is, as you both did it together, it was the responsibility of both parties to look at that thing to make sure that that thing was plumb with the with the earth, right? That's just the way it should have been, right? The fact is, is you're both responsible. Isaiah the prophet didn't uh, simply point his finger, but accepted his own responsibility to God. And we need to own up for our own part in the sins of our nation that we have taken part in, whether it's directly or indirectly. That's hard for us at times. That's hard in in this world that we live in. We we have to recognize that we are all part because we are together. That's why we pray for our nation. That's why we pray for the leaders we like and the leaders we don't like. We pray for them all, and we need to seek God on behalf of our country. We have to seek God on behalf of our communities. We have to seek God on behalf of our leaders, but we also have to pray that the Lord would help us to do what we, each one, are called to do as well. So then we find this, now that uh, the people of God have cried out to him, now, now God cries out as he was, that he was faithful to his covenant. God cries back out to them saying, hey, I was faithful to my covenant with you guys. I set up this covenant and I was faithful to it, but the people had seriously failed, hadn't they? We see that there in, in the book of Judges. And l- look with me here in Judges chapter 6, verse 7 again. And he says this in the next few verses. It, it says, When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet uh, who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued from the hand... Uh, rescued." from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. 
I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will live, or you live. But you have not listened to me. So here he is, and this is one of those times where you're like, what in the world? This is, this is kind of a bad sermon, Pastor Mike. Why do you have to bring this stuff up to us? But the facts are the facts, and he's, he's trying to handle the truth and help them to understand. The fact is they had messed up, and they, they knew they weren't supposed to go the direction that they had. They knew it. They had, they had the covenant. They knew what the covenants were. They, they knew what the law was and all that kind of stuff. But here... It's here that God reminds Gideon and his people of his saving work. Did you notice that in the, in the passage we read? He reminds them of the saving work he did when he brought them up out of Egypt. He reminds them of that, and he's reminding of that, uh, of them of that covenant as well. And then he takes it a step further and says, you didn't listen to my covenant. But it isn't until verse 25 that we find that even Gideon's own dad had worshipped false gods of, of Baal or Baal and Ashereth. It probably included Gideon at some point too. We don't know. He very well may have worshipped in that fashion. And I wouldn't be surprised. But that was part of the problem. And that's why God spoke up through the prophet. And here is where some in the Christian world would allow pride to let its ugly head come up to the surface. And they would, surface, and they would say, that was Israel, but that's not us. That's, pretty, that's a pretty bad place to be. And, they, and some would even say that they deserved it. And that's not right. You've got to step back and think, you're mistaken. God may have dealt with them, uh, but uh, if you think you're better because you're under the new covenant, then you misunderstand the covenants. doesn't make us better. Paul said it this way when Christians bragged about how some Israelites had sinned and were broken off God's vine. He said it in Romans chapter 11 in verses 19 and 20. He said, you will say then, branches were broken off so that we could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. And then he goes on from there, and you see that he makes some pretty strong statements. But now back into Judges chapter 6, we find that even though these people had turned away from God, some of them woke up. Some of them come to themselves, they start understanding that they needed God and they prayed, and, and now God answered, didn't he? We can see that in the passage as we go on through, uh, through Gideon's uh, situation there. God, the third thing is, is that God's answer was to send a timid and seemingly incapable guy named Gideon. Who in the world is going to use Gideon, Right? Who's going to use this guy? The next thing you know, God chose this guy to, to lead them and to provide deliverance for them in Midian, from Midian and the others that were working against Israel. And God was intervening in their lives. And for us as followers of Jesus, we recognize that he can work in our lives even with the, with the most simple, most rudimentary things that we would never expect that he could do and help us with. He's bigger than us. It's all in his hands. And once we get that into our hearts and minds, it will change how we live, 
and how we interact and how we, what we do in this life because we know that he is with us. Here's this guy Gideon, and he's, where, where does the Lord find him through the angel? He finds him hiding in the wine press. He, he finds him hiding there because he's trying to protect the thing. And look at what Judges 6 verse 12 says. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Warrior, You know, the guy hiding. Okay? <laughs> Look at what Gideon's response is there in verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Have you ever asked that question? I'm sure that you have. If you haven't, maybe you haven't been honest with God and, but, but I'm sure that most have asked God that question at times. And, and here this guy is. I think he's kind of asking this question. Okay, God, where's the miracles? Where, where, you divided the, the Red Sea so that, that your people could come through, but where are the miracles now? Well, look at the situation that we're in. Now look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have... And save Israel out of Midian's hands, am I not sending you? He's basically saying, you have some strength, and I am sending you. <laughs> then here goes uh, again, uh, Gideon's reply there in verse 15, pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you, you will strike down all the Midians, and even, leaving none alive. Now, this is where people may say, this is too aggressive, God. How could you allow that to happen? But you have to understand the covenant, and you have to understand how the Midianites were basically military oppressors that oppressed them. They were destructive. They were killing everything they could. Uh, it was not a pretty sight. And God was going to take this timid guy and work through him to show him how he could use simple things to be an answer to their prayer. Why didn't God choose somebody great from the tribe of Judah? Why didn't he do that at that point in time? Uh, why didn't he choose somebody with a special talent? Why? Because it wasn't about the person as much as it was about God, God's making of a miracle. This is where we miss it so many times. It's not about the individual. It's about the individual or the group of people being willing to allow God to work in their lives and through their lives so that he can do what he needs to do. I hate to say it, but we're not going to look at it today, and you can look at it later, but Gideon, in the end, he, did, he saw a great miracle, but he really messed up, and he got the big head over the deal. He did. At the very end, we don't always tell that story, but you can see it after, after we're done today. You can go read the whole story. But, but we understand that that's, that's why for us as followers of Jesus, we need to let God be who he is, right? He's God. We need to allow him to work in our lives and allow him to have his place. His place is wherever he wants to be, Right? So God was going to take this timid guy and work through him to show how he could uh, to take use simple things to be an answer to their prayer. 
And we just don't always understand why God does it that way, but he has his purpose. It's hard for, it was hard, it's so hard for Gideon at this point, God gave him at least three signs. Uh, really, we may say it's more than that, but he, he gave him several in this. And the first one was there in Judges chapter 6, verse 20 to 22. Uh, read with me there on the screen. It says, the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and, leaven, and the leaven, unleavened bread, place him on, the ro- on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. He's gone. It was an offering he was giving to the Lord, not to the angel. Don't misunderstand. He wasn't giving that to the angel at all, but the angel of the Lord was giving him the message. And so uh, that was really a miracle like Elijah, Elijah and uh, even Moses. And you can see uh, Gideon's response there in verse 22. Uh, it says, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't normally speak to you, speak to God that way. I don't know about you, but that's what he said. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I think if we were in that situation, I don't know what we would say, right? Gideon knew who he's dealing with at that point. Because that's one of the things that took place in some of those first sacrifices to God. It wasn't man lighting the fire, it was God lighting the fire. If you you know the scripture, and he knew God was speaking through this angel, but but he called Gideon a mighty warrior, and now God is sending him to save Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. Now, later here in verses 25 and 26, the Lord told him to tear down, uh, tear down his dad's altar to, to Baal or Baal and the Asherah pole. Uh, and they were both for worship to these false gods that come from the Amorites and the others in that area that they were living and they were told not to worship them. And so, so here Gideon does that. He tears that, those things down like the Lord asked him to, but he doesn't win. He does it at night. Why? Because, uh, you know, because he wanted to work the evening shift. <laughs> wasn't that at all. He was scared to death. He knew that if he took those and, and, and tore those down and then used those items to worship the Lord, the one true God, that uh, he, he would be in trouble. And in fact, he, he does that. He tears them all down. And he instantly became on, the, on Israel's most wanted list. His, it's like his, pay, his face would have been right on the, the, uh, the public newspaper. And, but that, but and everybody, when they saw what had taken place the next morning, they were flat mad. Who was tore down, torn down this, uh, this altar? And, and he even used the astral pole and he cut it up and he used it for uh, wood to be able to burn underneath the, the sacrifice to the Lord. I don't know about you, but may, uh, he was in deep. And maybe you feel like in the days that you're in, that maybe you felt like that you're in deep at times. But uh, but God can help you in your life if you will trust Him by faith. If you will look to Him and follow Him and trust in His faith, 
He will walk with you. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad that he will do that. We have to be willing to follow his pathway. We have to be willing to walk after him. He is gracious and he will listen to you. If you will be honest and speak from your heart to God, he will listen. And if you're willing to follow his way, that's usually where people get in, get stuck. Some get to this last part, and they uh, that's like they're balking like a picture, uh, like a picture, like a pitcher that, that's trying to, to balk the, the batter, you know, to make him think so he'll swing. And, and uh, people are like, uh, I, I love God, but I don't necessarily want to follow what he's asking me to do. We need to be the people that are willing to follow him. Now look here, Gideon, he believed. He believed. I think he just wanted to make sure he understood right. Uh, And also something else about Gideon, we know he was afraid, right? That was plain. The scripture talks about he was afraid. He was afraid to tear down the the altars and stuff. Uh, So he did it at night, etc. He was hiding in the wine press. We know that was the case. Uh, He's also trying to protect himself there, but uh, he, he has asked God for a sign to prove that what he said was real. So God gave him the sign, and, and now he, he does it again. Where he does this through the, the fleece and everything. You can read that portion for yourself. But in Judges chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, it says, Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Uh, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time, uh, this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And uh, so he goes on and says, that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. So that fleece, you know, the, 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 the wool fleece, whatever, he, he had it there and uh, everything else was covered with dew, but that wasn't, it all should have been covered. But that was one way that God was proving himself to, to Gideon. And uh, God was really patient with him. He believed and God knew his heart. It seems he just wanted to make sure he understood correctly. I know there's a lot of different thoughts about that, but this time God had made his uh, case more than plain, more than plain. And God doesn't always put up with questioning like this when it's out of unbelief. We see that even over in the New Testament times with John the Baptist's dad, who went mute until God's promise of a son came through because he didn't quite believe God. Here it seems like it's more of a verification. I don't know that's in God's hands, but, but we see here that it was a little different. Here's where we ask the question, is, is the question out, is the question out of our how we handle things, is the question out of our need to make sure we've heard God right, or is it simply out of our unbelief? Those are two different things. And this is why we have to be careful in testing what God, uh, God has said to us, and this too is why we need to allow Scripture to be our guide as well. Let the Word of God guide us, uh, and we need to be, allow the Scripture to guide our lives so that we can follow God's plan. Finally, Gideon was sure of of God's will, and in every case and in every test, Gideon found God to be more than enough. 
He was more than enough. Have, have you found God to be more than enough in your life? Have you noticed when God has worked in your life? He believed. Have you found him more than enough? Maybe you've been unsure about your situation in life. There's been a lot of uncertainty in the times we're in. Yeah, it's, it's the reality. But it may be that you, you've cried out to the Lord, but let me tell you that he will hear you when you pray in faith. When you look to him and trust, and sometimes those, sometimes those prayers, when we pray out of desperation, God will say, yeah, I hear you. He'll listen to you. And we find here that he was here for Gideon, and he can also be here for you as well in the times we're at. If you will trust him and keep following him, keep following him, God pared down his, uh, Gideon's workforce to prove himself to God's people. It's very interesting here as you see it later on here in J Judges chapter 7. He, he starts out with actually with a big army. Or this guy who's hiding in the wine press, he's doing whatever, trying to protect all that and, and the harvest as they're, they're trying to harvest the wheat crop or whatever. And, and so now you, now you find him and... Uh, Gideon has an army of people to push back their oppressors. He already figured out, okay, God is saying, hey, he needs me to do this, so I'm going to do it. He gets things rolling, it sounds like. And so in verse 2 here of chapter 7, it says this, The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men, Bubba. That's what he said. Didn't have the Bubba on it. He said, you have too many men, and I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. And they would say, my own strength has saved me. So out of 20,000 men, he goes through this process, and he has 10,000 men left over. And this, this army of men showed, uh, showed too much of man's own ability in God's sight. So Gideon and his army could do it on their own. Still with 10,000, they could probably knock out the enemy, put them in route, and they'd be okay. And then they would say, hey, look at what we've done. Thank you, Lord, but look at what we've done. Isn't that kind of what happens sometimes? We kind of give to God a nod by saying, oh, thank you, Lord, but look at what we've done. And we have to be careful that we don't do it that way, that, that we come to the point where we say, thank you, Lord. And that's what happened in this situation. That's what happened here. And you look at what he says there in Judges chapter 7, verse 4 then. It says, but the Lord said to Gideon, remember he's down to 10,000. He said, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So the, so the Lord uh, pared this army down from 10,000 now uh, and he brings them down to 300 guys, 300 men. There's no comparison. I don't know about you, but if, you, if I saw a, a, a small stadium with 20,000 people, and it was emptied down to about 300 people, and I knew that these were the guys that I was going to go with me to help me to, to overthrow the, the, that area and to try to take back the food and things that my country had, I would say, what in the world? 300 people. So verse 7 says there, The Lord said to Gideon, 
with the 300 men that, that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So he had them, some of them drank, you know, put a water in their hands and they lapped out of their hands. And it was those guys that he saved. And he's like, you guys are going to stay with us and everybody else. Maybe he did it because they were astute and paying, around, uh, paying attention to the things around. I don't know. But we know that he saved those 300 guys to be able to serve there one way or the other. I don't know. How could God even do such a thing like that? Why, why, would, why would he even do something like that? It's, it isn't even possible to route the number of people that they were dealing with, but the fact is, is that he had an inside track to everything. Do you know he has an inside track into your life personally? He has an inside track into every church body. He has an inside track. And there is no limitation or impossibility in the hands of God. It does not exist. All things are possible to him who believes. No one can pull the wool over God's eyes. No one can. The Lord kept building up Gideon's faith through this whole process. He even went close to the Midianites' camp and overheard one guy telling another guy about a dream that God gave him there in verse 13. And it says this, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It, it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. God set the stage for Gideon and the Israelites by giving the enemy a dream. I think that's cool. He did that, and, and uh, he didn't even have to fight a proper battle. He, he split those guys up into three companies of three or a hundred, those, those 300 people. Maybe company's not the right term, but he, he split them up there. And, and uh, these groups of a hundred surrounded the camp. And you see what he says there in Judges chapter 7, verse 21. And it says, while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled, and they had peace for 10 minutes. No, they had peace for 40 years. For 40 years, they had peace. See, their miracle came. Their miracle came, and it was so simple. It was not special. It was not. It, uh, it was simple. He just used three hundred people out of twenty thousand fighting men to be able to take care of business. You know what the cool thing is to me about that is Gideon and the rest of the people were involved in it. They took part in it. Do you realize when the miracle happens, if we are willing to follow God, if we are willing to walk with Him, when the miracle happens, we can be part of that. Now, I know it's not just a regular miracle of what we're going to do on Tuesday of passing out food, but for some people, that may be a miracle to them, and it may be because you took part. I, I don't know. It may be a little bit more of a miracle than you realize because I had uh, one of the people that was over that. I know Pastor Jenna worked very hard at that, but I, I know that one of the people was over that and came into, came into the office this last week on Thursday and said, how did you guys get on the list to be able to do that. I says, well, Pastor Jenna checked and got our name on there. I said, really? 
I think God does miracles. And I think he does them sometimes in ways that we don't uh, expect. Sometimes they're very small, but in the end, the outcome is very big. Why? Because God's hand is upon those who are willing to step out of their own place and are willing to trust in him. And for us as followers of Jesus, we need to trust him more than we've ever trusted him. And I believe this is the year when he's going to work through our lives more than we've seen in the past. We may be less people right at the moment, and I know many of you are online sitting at home as well, but I, I have a good feeling if we are open, if we will allow our hearts to stay open to God, and if we are willing to follow him, and if we will be willing to be like Gideon, yeah, we may ask the questions, God, why would you allow this to happen? But if we are willing to follow him, he is going to do some wonderful things. May not always be the things that we expect or the way we expect it, probably not. But I just imagine that he is going to prove himself faithful as we, as followers of Jesus, prove ourselves faithful to him. He has mercy on us. I'm glad he has mercy on us. And I'm glad that he reaches out to us with love and with some great peace. That big army in the beginning seemed to be the best way to overcome the oppression that Israel had. But God proved that when, he, when we yield ourselves to him, he doesn't need a big army. Because he is more, more than enough. He is more than enough. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're at home, you can stand with us as well. As we look to the Lord, you may feel like your situation, you may feel like it has shrunk even more than churches have in this time and even, even businesses have in this time that we're in. But God is more than enough. And what we thought we could do with our own abilities and our own resources, we find that uh, it is not enough even when it looks like a lot, a lot. But when we humble ourselves before God and yield ourselves to his plan, you will find that he is more than enough with whatever we have. Maybe you need to expect a miracle in your life. Maybe you need to expect for it. If he can deliver Israel with 300 people, uh, there's a lot of people there. If he can deliver them with 300 people, he can perform a miracle in your life. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe it's personally. You say, God, I, I need you to work in my life, and I don't know how you're going to put this together. I don't even know if you can put it together, God, but if you will put your trust in him and if you will take him out of that little box that you have left him in so many times. We all do it. Got to take him out of the box that we tried to put him in. We know he can't fit there anyway. If you will trust him with all your heart and look to him and not give up, because usually when the miracles don't come, it's because we give up on the cusp when it's going to happen. We need to trust Him, put our faith in Him, walk with Him, serve Him, and allow Him to do His work through our lives. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we're your people. 
We're the sheep of your pasture, Lord. We're, we're your people. You called us by name. You know us. You know the number of hairs we have on our head, even though for some of us it's there, there's less than there was last year. But, Father, we know that you are more than enough. You know us. You know where we're at. And, Father, we are asking you, Father, to do a great thing. Father God, your great thing may not look like what we expect it to look like, but what we understand and what we know is as long as it's your thing, that's all that matters. That is all that matters. And your great thing can touch the lives of people in so many different ways. Father, for those here under the sound of my voice and those here listening online, even after this is recorded later on, Lord, I pray that you would speak into each and every one of us and help us to open our hearts up to you so that you can do a miracle in our lives and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.